A reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the kindness that you extend to us in, in receiving us and calling us into your presence and for giving us your word. And so, God, we pray that as we engage with it this morning, that you would move in our hearts. God, we pray that the Spirit would do a work. I pray that he would show us Jesus. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Now, I have a lot of respect for people who have a vision for things that they want to do in their homes and the ability to make those things happen. We have, Katie and I have one of those things, but not the other. Right? Katie has lots of creativity ideas, and we both know how to call people to have things happen in our homes but I am not handy, which does not, it just does not work. But a while back, Katie, I think she was scrolling through Instagram, and she came across a project that she thought even we could handle. Um, someone in, uh, one of our friends had turned a, a little storage space that they had underneath their stairs into a play area for their kids, and Katie looked over at our stairs and noticed we too have a little storage space under our stairs. She's like, we're going to do this. We're going to turn this into a little play area for Harper and Oliver. So we, we set about it. Uh, we made, went to Target and Home Depot and ordered the rest of things on Amazon. And, and we, we began this project that was like so minor. And if you ever come over to my house and you see this thing, you can be like, well, it's not even a project. But that's okay. It was a project for us. And so we turned this storage space into a little reading nook for, for Oliver and Harper. And Oliver in particular was very, very excited about this. He's four and a half, doesn't yet read, but likes the idea of having a place to read when he, when he can. Uh, so we, we got everything in there, got him a little couch, there's books, there's all the things. And the finishing touch, like the final piece, was this little decorative sign that Katie bought. And for whatever reason, Oliver was particularly excited about this sign. It, it's nice looking, but nothing particularly fancy about it, but he was just thrilled. So we hang it in there, and he was just, again, thrilled. Well, I don't know how long it took him to ask the question, but eventually he did ask the question, what does the science say? Because again, he can't read. And uh, so I told him that, Oliver, the sign says, it's cool to be kind. It's cool to be kind. And he looked up and said, oh, like clearly very disappointed. <laughs> Okay, bud. Uh, so, like, well, what, what did you think that it said? He said, I thought it said Oliver and Harper's Nook. It's like, <laughs> it's like that would have been cool. That would have been cool. So, he thinks that that would have been cool. Apparently, he does not think that kindness is very cool. Well, unfortunately, Oliver is not alone in not thinking that kindness is very cool. Uh, one Christian author calls kindness a, quote, forgotten virtue even among Christians. He says that we've ranted before we've related. 
But friends, such things must not be so. As our text commands us, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. So our focus this morning, and this is going to wrap up the series that we've been doing called Life Together, where we're looking at the various one another's in the New Testament, looking at what virtues, what characteristics ought to define the Christian's life together in community. We're going we're gonna to focus today on kindness and our duty, our responsibility to treat each other with kindness, to be tender-hearted. So we're going to look at three things within that. We're going to look at the source of kindness, the example of kindness, and the call to kindness. All right, so we're going to start with the source of kindness. Okay, so we are called to be kind, but where and how do we see kindness described in the Bible? Well, usually when we see the English word kindness in the Old Testament, it's a translation of the Hebrew word hesed. Now, this is a challenging word to translate, and there have been several scholarly books trying to hone in on exactly what this word means. But the truth is, it has a very broad range of meanings, many different overtones. It conveys overtones of loyalty, love, and other concepts such as mercy and kindness. Some passages emphasize one sense, while other passages tend to emphasize a different sense. We see kindness emphasized uh, in the marriage story of Ruth and Boaz. Uh, we see it, sorry, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. We see kindness emphasized in a few different places that, that we see the word has said. I'm not going to show you all of them. I'm just going to show you a few of them. The first one is in the story of Ruth and Boaz. Uh, Ruth's mother-in-law uh, says of Boaz in Ruth 2.20, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, so that's the word has said, has not forsaken the living or the dead. In the Old Testament, kindness is expected to be shown to relatives, neighbors, and even to strangers if they enter into one's home. The king, as well as the common person, was subjected to and, uh, and expected to show kindness. And kindness was an important part of Israel's ethical instruction. A great summary of this can be found in Micah 6, 8, where we are told, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And when we encounter the description of the praiseworthy woman in Proverbs 31, we read this, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now in the New Testament, kindness is translated from the Greek words uh, krestos, which we see in our text, as well as the Greek word philanthropia. Both of these words carry a sense of goodness, uprightness, generosity, and graciousness. It's a characteristic of true love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. And it's something that God's people are expected to possess and demonstrate, as we see in our text. And most importantly, and this is where we get to the source of kindness, Kindness is described in both testaments as an attribute of God. We see this in Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior 
so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What led God to save us according to this passage? It was his goodness and loving kindness. This isn't just a one-time act of kindness. No, it flows from God's very being. In Exodus 34, when God revealed himself to Moses in a unique and powerful way, he declares his name and he begins to list attributes of himself. He's basically saying, I'm God and this is who I am. You know what makes the top of the list? Well, let's go ahead and look. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the, excuse me, clear the guilty. Right? Twice we see steadfast love called out in this text, and both are translations of his said. So who is our God? Who is our God? When he answers that question himself, again, the top, at the top of his list is loving kindness. God is the source of kindness. And it is his love and kindness that enable us to then demonstrate those things to other people. So we become kind first and foremost by attaching ourselves to the source of kindness digging in to our relationship with God, just clinging to him, allowing his word and his presence to shape and form us. And this makes intuitive sense, doesn't it? If you want to learn a language, if you want to learn a new language, what do you do? You learn it as a child. No, uh, well, yes, that is by far the most effective way. However, if you didn't have that privilege, what do you do? You immerse yourself in the language. You surround yourself with other people who speak the language, but not only speak the language, who think in the language, who dream in the language, right? And that begins to have an effect on you. Now, that's something that we do intentionally, but I think there are times when we learn from and emulate other people and their attributes simply by being in proximity to them. I don't know if you've ever had like a charismatic friend or someone who's just got this magnetic personality that, that slowly and surely you become more and more like them. This happened to me uh, right after college. I had a mentor, I was, uh, an associate pastor at, at the church that I was going to at the time, and he took me and a group of other guys under his wing and met with us regularly, had us over to his home all the time, and slowly but surely, one of, one of uh, my friends who is also mentored by this guy pointed out, it's like, we're all just becoming mini grants. Right? It, it affected the music that we were listening to, some of the clothes that we were wearing. This guy had very expensive taste in shoes. So we had like a bunch of 20-year-olds who were broke, contemplating very pricey footwear. Right. Proximity to this man ended up shaping us, ended up changing some of our preferences, but more importantly, helped us to become more and more like Jesus. This is the impact that relationship can have. Now, if this is something that can happen with limited people, imagine what can happen if we have deeper and more intimate proximity with, proximity to a limitless God. So consider for a moment, are you putting yourself in God's path? Are you engaging with God in prayer, connecting with him through his word, surrounding yourself with other people who are more fluent in the language, in the ways of God? 
We need this. That is how we become shaped. That is how we become more kind, by attaching ourselves to the source. Okay, so that is the source of kindness. Now let's look at the example of kindness. Well, if God is the source of kindness, it would make sense that he is also the example of kindness. But I want to hone in on how God's loving kindness, his said, has been most clearly demonstrated in the, in the person of Jesus, who according to the, uh, the writer of Hebrews is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, kindness in our passage in Ephesians 4.32 is, is paired with tenderness. We're called to, to be kind and tender-hearted to one another. In the Greek, that's the word usplagnos. It's a fun word. It sounds like something happening in, in your guts, and that's intentional. Right? It's talking about feeling in your guts, right? We're supposed to, to be kind and compassionate, not just intellectually, not just with our actions, although we should be both of those things, but also in, our, in the seat of our emotions. Right? This word is, is often, most often, translated compassion. We see it as tender-hearted in our passage. And these two attributes are often paired together in the New Testament because, as John Calvin says, the virtue kindness will never reign in us unless attended by compassion. Kindness and compassion go together. And when we look at Jesus, we see someone who was continually both kind and compassionate. Someone who was regularly moved with compassion. The pastor and writer Dane Ortland says of Jesus, compassion reflects the deepest heart of Christ. Jesus' compassion led him to feed the hungry in Matthew 15, 32. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. His compassion moved him to teach the crowds in Mark 6, 34, and he had compassion on them, and he began to teach them many things. In Luke 7, 13, Jesus' compassion caused him to wipe away a woman's tears of grief. And he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Compassion led Jesus to tangible acts of kindness, caring for people's physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual needs. Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, his interactions with people were characterized by kindness and compassion by his said. But of course, the clearest example of his immense kindness is demonstrated in the text we've already looked at, Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Jesus, in the greatest act of kindness ever recorded, provided for our greatest need. He saved us, not because we had made ourselves worthy of saving. No, in fact, it was the opposite. He gave us what we didn't deserve, eternal life with him. And what could possibly be more kind than that? His kindness played itself out in mercy, grace, forgiveness, and love. And it's with this example in mind that we are called to demonstrate kindness to one another. So now let's look at the call to kindness. All right, so what, is, what does it look like for us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you? 
Well, first off, friends, this is a fruit of the Spirit, along with love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Right? This is an attribute that the Spirit produces within us. It is the natural outflow of being connected to the source of kindness, being connected to God. We grow in kindness as we grow in Him. Now, before discussing some of the things that kindness does entail, I think it's worth mentioning something that it does not, and that is people-pleasing. The way of kindness can and sometimes does entail saying hard things. For example, in Psalm 141, verse 5, we read, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. That's the word has said again. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. The Bible tells us that correction in the truth, even if it feels like being struck, is a kindness. It's not loving to encourage someone to continue in a path that is ultimately destructive. Uh, there's a hike that I've done a few times in Switzerland. Um, it's called the Kleidersteig. Please forgive my non-existent Swiss German. Um, it's in a town called Muren or Mürden. And the whole time you're on this hike, you're, you're harnessed and you're clipped in. And there are times when it feels like you're just, you know, kind of walking through the woods and the, the harness and clips feel completely unnecessary. And then there are times when you are literally, and I mean literally in a literal sense, you are literally hanging off the side of a cliff, hanging onto these staples that are dug into the cliff face 2,000 feet above the valley floor. It's amazing. Well, the first time I did this hike, I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into. And someone called it a hike. Someone called it like an adventure walk. And I'm like, okay, hike, adventure walk, cool. Sign me up. And when we got there, the, the, the guide who was leading us started passing out harnesses. And I'm like, okay, this feels unnecessary for a hike or an adventure walk. And so I, again, because I didn't know what I was getting into, I was kind of haphazard in, in you know, the way that I put on my harness. And the guide, seeing how I was not you know, paying careful attention to what I was doing with my harness, like quickly and sharply rebuked me in front of the entire group. Well, at the time, I felt like that was not a kind thing to do. But my perspective changed very quickly when I found myself like hanging on the side of a cliff, thinking like that was a great thing for him to do. I'm so glad that he rebuked me. Kindness is not aggression, but it's also not bland timidity, passive peacekeeping without any real conviction. Barry Corey, the president of Biola, wrote a book recently on kindness. And in it, he talks about two different pitfalls that we have a tendency to, to fall into. On the one hand, we can fall into aggression, which characterizes a good deal of the discourse in our culture, doesn't it? Aggression, according to Corey, has a hard center, right, firm convictions, but also hard edges towards people. And these hard edges often justify tactics that fight for truth while also diminishing and demonizing others. On the other hand, there's appeasement or people-pleasing. And people who fall into this often have soft edges towards people, but they also have a spongy center. There's a lack of soul, of conviction. It, according to Corey, stands for nothing and falls for everything. But Corey advocates for a different approach. 
He writes, rather than the harshness of firm centers and hard edges, and rather than the weakness of spongy centers and soft edges, why don't we start with kindness? Kindness is the way of firm centers and soft edges. Kindness calls us to be firm in our convictions, but soft and gentle towards people. We speak the truth, but we do so in love. We are prepared to give a defense of what we believe, but we do so with gentleness and respect. In his book, Corey, he tells a a powerful story of what kindness can look like in action. Uh, Corey apparently did a a year-long research project. He was a Fulbright scholar uh, for an NGO in Bangladesh. And he had a colleague who was another Fulbright scholar named Karen. And in the course of, of their time together, they struck up a friendship. And after they had been there for some months, uh, she asked him to lunch uh, because she had something that she wanted to tell him. And in that lunch, she, she came out to him. She told him that, that she had started a romantic relationship with a woman back home. And apparently, he was one of the very first people that she came out to. And as she was telling him this, she kept saying, she kept repeatedly saying, I can't believe I'm making this revelation to you, a conservative pastor's son who's theologically somewhere else. And he said that she was right. He was both of those things. He was a conservative pastor's son who was theologically somewhere else. And so he ended up asking her, yeah, why are you telling, why are you telling me, a conservative pastor's son who's theologically somewhere else? Why, why are you bringing me into this? Um, and he writes, she told me not because she thought I would agree with her relationship, She wasn't asking me to consider changing my position, but because Karen knew me, she came out to me, convinced that my first response would be kindness. It's a firm center with soft edges. Kindness calls us to reach out to people who are different from us, people that we might disagree with, with love and respect, not pretending that we don't disagree, not sacrificing convictions, but still being able to see people as image bearers of God and treating them as such. And think about how Jesus embodies this. The time and attention, the care that he gave to people who are deemed outcasts, who are deemed sinners. These were the very people that flocked to Jesus. And I think a big reason why was his kindness and compassion. He was firm on sin, but he was gentle with people. And we need to work to do the same. So consider for a moment, are there individuals or groups of people that you struggle to show kindness to? Are there people with whom you've had a hard center and hard edges towards? May the Spirit help us to hold firm to our convictions while softening our hearts. Now, one of the unfortunate things about trying to practice kindness is that our kindness isn't always received, and it is often not reciprocated. Corey writes, One warning to those of us willing to live more radically the way of kindness. Our kindness may be rebuffed, or it may even incite others' hatred and scorn. The life of kindness is not living to be accepted, it's living to be obedient. The way of kindness is self-exposing and hazardous. Uh, When Katie and I were were living in Boston, I spent a year of our time there 
working for a, a nonprofit. Um, it's called Beverly Bootstraps. It was in Beverly, Massachusetts. It was a good time. Uh, I, loved the, I loved the organization. Um, I loved my job. I was there running uh, after-school programs for middle school students who just came from really, really challenging uh, circumstances. But it was also a really hard job. And I think part of what made it so challenging was I worked really hard to be kind, and I had no idea if it was having any sort of effect. Right? These kids, again, they were from difficult circumstances. They were middle schoolers. They're from New England. None of those things equate to, I'm going to give you verbal affirmation and let you know that you're doing a good job. I did not expect that from them, at least not cognitively, but the fact that it wasn't there, it was hard. I had a good rapport with the kids, but when I tried to lean in, tried to listen, tried to really care, it was like, who knows what they were thinking or feeling, at least that's how I felt at the time. I didn't really know if I had had an impact on anyone until I um, told my supervisor that I was leaving, we were moving back to California, and then she told me, um, she also being from New England didn't feel compelled to tell me in the moment, um, but she, she went on to tell me that, uh, you know, that some of the nice things that the kids had said throughout my time there, and it's like, oh, that's, that's good to know. But does the lack of reciprocation or the lack of, of verbal feedback, does that free me from a responsibility to demonstrate kindness towards these kids? No, not at all. We're kind not because we expect to, be, to receive kindness from others. No, we are kind in obedience to Jesus. We do so because he calls us to do that. And imagine if Jesus took that tack with us. You know, I'll demonstrate kindness to you as soon as I get it in return. If that's how he approached salvation, we would all be lost. We would have no hope. And what makes Jesus' kindness so radical and what ought to set ours apart is that it's bestowed on the undeserving. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. We need to show kindness to one another and to those around us out of obedience to Jesus, not because we're going to get something out of it. Now, this will be a humbling thing, but the truth is that to show kindness at all, it requires humility. I read a story about humble kindness in an article from NPR a couple of weeks ago. It was about a woman named Joni who was in her early 50s and was uh, battling with early-onset Alzheimer's. And soon after receiving this diagnosis, Joni's husband, Joe, uh, became her full-time caregiver. Well, Joe says a few, uh, one day a few months back, uh, he was deeply impacted by an, a kind encounter that the two of them had. Um, apparently that day, Joni woke up convinced that she needed new shoes, and Joe, after trying to reason with her, he's like, no, we, we just did this, um, gave up and said, okay, we're, we're going to go get some new shoes. Um, so they, they got to the store, and she insisted, I need to, need to speak to a sales representative, and so she found one, and Joe says, like, okay, you, you go do that, I'm going to go sit here. And he sat back, and he observed their interaction. Well, unfortunately, soon after uh, finding the sales associate, her name was Michelle, uh, Joni just got disoriented and confused. And Michelle was giving her very simple instructions or, or, or asking her very simple questions, and Joni just, because of her condition, it just wasn't computing 
And she began to get frustrated and flustered. But Michelle, instead of becoming frustrated and flustered herself or, or trying to pass her off or calling Joe over, she just empathized. And she brought Joni into her own struggles. Apparently, Michelle struggled with autism and, and deep anxiety. And so she said, I struggle with things too. And Joe said, I'm going to read from the article, for Joe, who had expected Michelle to be confused or frustrated by the experience, it was a moment of grace. When you're a full-time caregiver, your level of compassion or hope can get depleted, he said. But when someone who themselves already has difficulty navigating our world is caring for your loved one with more patience and compassion than you can muster, it's beyond words, he said. And it's a beautiful thing. You see incredible kindness, not just in a service rendered, but in a struggle identified with. We all struggle. We all falter. And it is an incredible kindness to let people in on that, to be transparent and vulnerable, to not feel the need to hide our weaknesses. For even Jesus is willing and able to sympathize with our weaknesses. So I want you to think, to consider, who can you demonstrate kindness toward? Where can you grow in maintaining a firm center with soft edges? Who do you need to let in? Not expecting anything in return, but opening yourself up as an act of kindness to see what God does, how he uses it. May the Spirit work kindness deep down into our hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this morning we thank you for your kindness, for your tenderness towards us, for your willingness to show us mercy. Father, we pray that you would help us by your Spirit to behold your goodness and your loving kindness, to see how it was shown so liberally in the life and the death of Jesus on our behalf. Father, help us to look to him and may our proximity to him shape us. May that transform us. May it help us to be kind in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts. Lord, we pray that we'd be changed. We love you, and it's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.